Jeremiah 31 carries many of the same messages of promise and restoration that we've seen in Isaiah. The chapter begins with, at that time. And that time is specifically when God is going to punish Israel's oppressors and reclaim his people as his own. Starting in verse 1, at that time, this is the Lord's declaration, I will be the God of all the families of Israel, and they will be my people. This is what the Lord says, the people who survived the sword found favor in the wilderness. When Israel went to find rest, the Lord appeared to him from far away. I have loved you with an everlasting love, therefore I have continued to extend faithful love to you. The survivors after Babylon's destruction of Jerusalem would find favor in the wilderness. Wilderness is always seen as a bad place in most of our discussions because that's where Israel rebelled against God. But earlier passages in Jeremiah, such as chapter 2, verse 2, depict it as the good old days when Israel depended on God for daily care and protection. The same love that brought Israel out from Egypt and into the wilderness, that's the same love that God wants to demonstrate to Israel in the days of Jeremiah. So God promises that the mourning is going to soon end and Israel is going to break out the instruments and start celebrating. The vineyards are going to be full of produce and again the people are going to invite one another to visit God in his temple. The rest of the chapter is largely about this switch from misery to joy. They're going to be taken out of the enemy land so safely that even the blind, the lame, and the pregnant can make the journey. In verses 15 through 17, the voice of Rachel, the mother of Israel, that was weeping at her children's demise, she's promised hope for the future. And so none of this disaster is meant as a permanent end of Israel, just a momentary discipline. Now, as I consider all this, this sounds great and all at first, but the more I think about it, the more I have to wonder... If God's plan with Israel didn't work the first time, what's going to be different about God's second attempt with Israel? If you remember back to the book of Judges, every time God saves his people, they love him for a little bit, but then they're pulled into even worse behaviors than before. Knowing Israel, we should expect this pattern to continue at a larger scale. God saved Israel from Egypt, and so they rebelled and were punished. So now that they've been saved from Babylon, what's to stop them from rebelling all over again? Well, God's answer is found in verses 31 through 34. Look, the days are coming. This is the Lord's declaration. When I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. This one will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors on the day I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, even though I am their master, the the Lord's declaration. Instead, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days. The Lord's declaration. I will put my teaching within them and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will one teach his neighbor or his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me, from the least to the greatest of them. This is the Lord's declaration. For I will forgive their iniquity and never again remember their sin. So God says he's going to make a new covenant, a new agreement with Israel. And this one's going to be different from the one he made with them after the Exodus. As wonderful and praiseworthy as the law of Moses is, it didn't transform Israel into what God had in mind. For example, in Jeremiah 11, verses 6 through 8, God says, Proclaim all these words in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem. Obey the words of this covenant and carry them out. For I strongly warned your ancestors when I brought them out of the land of Egypt until today, warning them time and time again, Obey me. Yet they would not obey or pay attention. Each one followed the stubbornness of his evil heart. So I brought on them all the curses of this covenant because they had not done what I commanded them to do. God had earned the right to make demands of Israel, but nobody heard him. Nobody paid attention. 
They were just like Pharaoh in the stubbornness of their hard hearts. But this was really no surprise to God. Going back to our readings in Deuteronomy 28 through 30, you might remember that Israel didn't have the heart to obey as they should have. So God promised that after all the rebellions and after the exile, he would do a sort of heart surgery on them. And that's what he's doing in here in Jeremiah 31. Instead of inscribing the law on stone and parchment, God's going to write it on the hearts of his people. God is going to empower his people to keep the law by transforming them at a fundamental level. Just as a mother is hardwired to love her child, Israel's going to be hardwired to follow their God. In the days of Jeremiah, the priests and prophets who were to teach God's law, they preached comforting messages of peace, of indulgence, and typically for a bribe. But God says, soon the days are coming where everyone is going to know him. The reason God's people will be different after the exile is because of what God will do. Israel is powerless to accomplish God's work alone, so he's going to step in and show us how it's done. We're always going to make mistakes, and we're always going to fail in God's purposes. But God has promised to forgive his people so that we can live empowered lives by him to do his goodwill. <laughs>